Hi everyone, before we get started, I just have a couple super quick announcements. The two-year training programs, uh, the Jungian Psychotherapy Program and the Jungian Studies Program will be accepting applications starting on January 16th. We have a rolling application process, so after the first 30 applications are submitted, we will then um, start putting together a wait list. So if you would like to be considered for the program, um, apply as soon as possible. And the entire program is currently in person, um, and more information about that is available on our website. Finally, I wanted to let you know about an upcoming program Community Day 2023, Entering the Magical Realm, Enchantment, Wonder, and the Way of Marie-Louise von Franz. It's on March 18th, 2023, with Steve Buser, MD, uh, one of the co-editors of Chiron Publications and of Marie von Franz's collected works. So he's going to be in Chicago speaking on that all day. And we'll have also have a panel and some small group discussions and other things. Um, registration is not open yet. Uh, there are still a couple things that need to be finalized before we open registrations, but that will probably be finished within the next week or so. So um, keep an eye on the website um, and also join our mailing list if you are not already and you'll receive emails when um, programs open and that kind of stuff. Um, and you can do all of that at our website, youngchicago.org. Okay, thanks. Welcome to the Young Anthology Podcast from the C.G. Young Institute of Chicago. Entering the Path, the Journey of Individuation with Andrea Gaspar Gonzalez and Daniel Ross. When life is about to branch in a new direction, the unconscious sends us signs and symbols to tell us we're embarking. This episode features Jungian analyst Dan Ross and Andrea Gaspar Gonzalez talking with host Patricia Martin about the ways the unconscious cooperates to guide us on the path of individuation. As co-directors of the Union Psychotherapy and Union Studies programs, they share poignant personal stories to explain the mysterious early signs that a new direction is being called for in the process of individuation. They've been on the podcast before, so I'm not going to read their bios, um, but they're in the show notes, and let's just get right into it. Welcome to Jung in the World, a podcast of the Jungian Anthology channel of the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. I'm Patricia Martin, and I'll be your host today as we talk with Andrea Gaspar-Gonzalez and Daniel Ross. They are core faculty and directors of the C.G. Jung Institute's Jungian Studies Program and the Jungian Psychotherapy Program. And they're here today to talk with us about a pillar concept of Carl Jung's theories, which is individuation. We'll get into that a little bit more, but let me introduce them to you. Andrea Gaspar Gonzalez is a clinical psychologist practicing in Chicago with a focus on the treatment of trauma and sexual abuse. She's a recent fellow of the Jungian Psychotherapy Program and a graduate of the Jungian Studies Program at the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. 
Her current research is focused on the collective psyche, application of Jung's theories to the present cultural climate, and re-examining archetypes, especially as they relate to the feminine in a new era of feminism. Daniel Ross has been a nurse and uh, especially a hospice nurse for over 30 years. As a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner, he brings both a medical and a psychiatric experience to the field of end-of-life care. He is a Jungian analyst at the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago and is in private practice as a psychotherapist in the Chicago area. Welcome, Dan and Andrea. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today to talk about individuation. Thank you, Patricia. It's great to be here. I gave this topic uh, a lot of elbow, elbow room as I was thinking about all the various ways that we can talk about individuation. But I guess the the, the place to begin is what is individuation? How would you explain it? Yeah, I've been thinking about that ever since you you, you sent the, kind of the, the idea of the focus that you wanted to be. Individuation for me has been that very mysterious thing in which I have my own interpretation of that based on my clinical work and based on my readings of Jung and 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 depending upon where where you're reading Jung in terms of individuation and at what point in, in his writing did he start using that term and then how did it evolve over the decades that he worked. It's a very interesting thing. For me, it's always been around transformation, another word, um, in which uh, at some point, probably my late 40s, uh, I had reached a point, and Mark Winborn was was talking about this too, <clears throat> that he experienced the same type of thing as a depression uh, in which everything was, became colorless in my life around that time. I was working in hospice. I was, you know, very productive. I was, you know, I had a, I was a clinical director and, but everything in my life in the outer world was, was colorless. And um, all of a sudden I started experiencing these strange things. Uh, I had an image of a sh old shed in a farm, <laughs> a barren farm, because it was probably the fall. Everything was shorn down. I was driving from St. Uh, from St. Louis to um, another city that was in my territory of, of hospices to visit. That image did not leave me uh, for the next two years. And it wasn't until I was in the JPP program and I was studying Jung directly and, and in the material uh, that I came across a passage in uh, Marie von Franz's, Marie Louise von Franz's book on the Pruer, um, that in her statement, it hit me that the image that I had seen two years previous and why it stuck with me and grabbed hold of me was was uh, explained in her writing, and it was a perfect match to the image. And so that image grabbed me because of its unconscious pull, so to speak. And it was pulling me towards individuation. It was pulling me towards 
my the rest of my life it was pulling me towards uh, a change in career it was pulling me towards uh, a sense of wholeness and completeness you know which he would describe as the goal of individuation um but it was all emotional it was affective it was uh grabbing me i was sitting in uh i was sitting in me boring executive meetings you know, talking about the same stuff that never amounted to anything. That's what, you know, that's what happens in those meetings. And this image would not leave me. It would keep, it would appear and I would try to get rid of it. And I would get mad at it. I go, why don't you leave me alone? You're a benign thing. You're just nothing. You know, what do I have to do? Go back to that farm and, and, and inspect this image of this old shed. And it really got my attention. And I realized when you go ahead. No, I was. I, it's so interesting. Uh, I just want to clarify for a second. So that image first appeared. It rose from your unconscious in a dream, or no, did, what did it? It was it a was real just, life image. Ah, it was a real life image, and I had to ask myself: Was that image created for me? That's how powerful this image was. What? Why? What is that image doing there? And th this was the dialogue I had in my head. What is it? I got to go back and see if it was there. Did I imagine that? Because I only saw it. I was driving on a highway. I saw it for a second or two. And I'm going, why is this otherwise benign thing in the world grabbing me in such a way that it is? And it led me on this journey uh, that allowed me an explanation. And Jung, Jung talks about the symbol as having this energy, this life of its own, and it holds this energy until um, until we discover its meaning. And then once we discover its meaning, it loses that energy, and it's no longer a symbol because it's it's no longer alive. Uh, and so for me, it was experiential. I had to figure out why this image is bothering me. Uh, why is it disturbing me? Why is it not letting me go? And um, that's the best experience I have to explain a beginning of a, a very long journey now. So it, that image was kind of laying the breadcrumbs in front of you of what yeah. would be a journey toward yeah. the next the next version of you, the next yeah. in, in, right iteration yeah. of you. Yeah. But in order to get to the other side of that next you, there had to be a transformational process. Yes, yes. And that's yes. what kind of led you to pursue Jungian analysis, Jungian Absolutely. studies. Yeah, Absolutely. so interesting. Absolutely. And my life is now, since then, I, I just, I said, I started that with a depression in which everything, I experienced everything in the outer world is colorless. Uh, now my life is full and vibrant, and I don't experience the world in that way anymore. You know, it's that's also well. It's not only interesting; it's it's hopeful mm -hmm. because I think you know we're we're talking to people out in our audience, and many of them in these times, uh, you know, it's it's I think pretty apparent, apparent to uh, Jungians and 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 people just people in the civilization. We're undergoing a transformation mm -hmm. and the wheels might be grinding slower or faster at any mm -hmm. point, mm -hmm. but we're all starting to feel the tug of this. Mm -hmm. And so the hope of individuation is 
you're going to go through something, but the prize on the other end is an aliveness, a vibrancy, a feeling more whole. Yes. I want to, I want to ask you, Andrea, give, give me your thoughts on individuation. How do you see this? Yeah. Um, you know, it's very interesting because it, it's, as I was sitting with that idea um, of talking about it and thinking it over, I realized that I, I actually have some questions about it, which I always find, I mean, I, I love questions, obviously, um, being a psychologist, <laughs> being a researcher and, um, and trying to think of things, noticing if something sits, you know, kind of raises my attention, well, how do I sit with that? So I've been thinking about the individuation process and wondering about that in terms of what that means in these days, both as the individual and the individual within the context of the culture and how that impacts individuation um, and also how it is part of the process. So I've been thinking about individuation and how it really is, you know, this, this movement into, you know, the who and what, um, as I think Murray Stein put it, we are meant to be, right? Mm. Um, but so there's, I think, though, with it, my sense is that there's both a return and a movement forward. And that some of the, the things that we are in our whole self that have been split off in time or put into shadow, that we are rediscovering. And as we go through this process, able to decide what we take along um, with us moving forward into our different potentials and into our growth, um, but that there's this process that occurs at the same time of moving towards a return at the same time of moving forward is something that's um, been stirring for me. Um, but that also it's within, within the culture and that that's our process is we're not separate from it. So while we become our own separate people, I think the individual individuation process is, is tied to the collective and what's around us. It's the, it's the soil that the acorn is planted in Mm. and that that matters very much. Um, so that's something that's been sitting with me. Um, and I have questions um, and, and um, discoveries that are ahead in terms of how I feel about individuation or think about it. So I've been kind of, since this topic's been raised, actually it's raised some questions for me as well. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. I always find well, that to be a great part of the work that we do. And I, to tell you the truth, uh, it's one of the things that makes the Young Institute of Chicago, such an exciting and vibrant place is that it's a place for query. It's a place for open conversation. Everyone continues to discover new things. I mean, we've got analysts who are octogenarians and they have they have devoted their professional lives to the study, study of Jung's work and they are still asking questions. So mm. It's fun to be in this conversation today because we're talking about big things. And I had a question as I was listening to you, Andrea. Uh, okay, so, you know, there's that saying that, oh, when the, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher arises. Or, you know, God never gives you more than you can handle. And these all kind of speak to timing. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that in terms of timing of individuation and uh, like a transformational process. Do you think that it arises 
for a reason? Like, is, is it happening at a juncture in your life because something else is occurring or, you know, um, what's the, what's the timing around this? What's your thought? <laughs> that is an excellent question. Um, so I think in regards to timing, you know, both, right. It occurs when there is, that can be the juncture of things occurring, all right? Or suddenly you have space perhaps that you didn't have in your life before. I'm, I'm a mother, I have a young child. And boy, I tell you sometimes the space that I would like to have to be able to work with my unconscious isn't always there. Um, and I have to be patient with that process. And at the same time, while I might not be conscious of the individuation process that's occurring, I think it's still occurring. Right? I think that it is both a conscious and quite an unconscious process. Um, and I think my own experience kind of beginning the journey was very much that way. Um, in that I was, you know, I, it wasn't that I, um, I just had a moment of like, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to embark on becoming a psychologist. I was at a point in my career that it was very, um, if things were, were fine, I was doing um, kind of theater um, was sort of what I was trying to gauge in the evening. Um, and during the daytime, I was working, you know, admin type positions. And um, it was a very stable time. So it was kind of quiet. But I wasn't really thinking about, well, you know, how do I grow in a different kind of way or my transformational process, which is something emerged quite suddenly from the unconscious of saying, well, this is the path you're going to take. And Thankfully, I guess I was <laughs> foolish enough to say, okay, well, let's, let's embark on that path and see where mm -hmm. it goes. So I think there are things that are occurring that we're aware of at the time um, that we can work with, you know, we can bring our ego to and work with in a conscious kind of way. But I think all the time there are things stirring under the surface that that's helping to move us there in different um, tempos um, mm -hmm. and in different depths at different periods of time in our life. So it's, it's one of those yeah, famous, it it's depends both. and both. Oh, right. <laughs> well, I like, I I like the image of the fool. I like the image of the fool, the foolishness of it. Oh, the fool, yeah. Because you really have to let go of the, the, the egoic attitude you, you, that you're going somewhere, that you have to go somewhere or, you know, and so when you start realizing you're listening to a whole different reality, um, and even if it feels foolish, yeah. uh, you're willing to go after it because uh, because it, it's smarter than you. <laughs> right. Willing to or sometimes taken along. Yes. 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 Sometimes it doesn't, you know, you can go, you're going to go either way. That's right. Uh, you can go gracefully or kicking or screaming. That's right. All right. And, and I really zeroed in as you were talking about this, Andrea, to this idea of the acorn. You know, mm. there are different theories of identity formation and who we become and why we become that. And I was um, reflecting on Murray Stein's uh, discussion of the acorn theory of, of individuation and, you know, that, that we have a seed within us and that seed contains a whole tree that will eventually blossom. Mm -hmm. So you know, a lot of the anxiety that we feel about decisions um, as we move into transformation, you, you know, it it's all encoded. Mm. But then there's another 
you know, there's another theory and it's very strong in the culture. Um, and that is that hero's journey thing where there's a calling and there's a, it's a quest. There's a scary quest. So it, what do you think of that? Is it, is it more yeah. acorn than it is quest or do these things, can these two ideas happily coexist? I think it's both and, and many other things. I think those are metaphors that are used. Um, interestingly, synchronistically, Mark Winborn's whole weekend training this past weekend was on metaphor. Um, we use metaphor to try and explain, try to relate an experience that we're having to another experiential context that then helps us embody the experience uh, and 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 make and be able to feel the experience and be able to explain. So the acorn theory is a is a wonderful image of the soul and and you know that there is something there uh, from the very beginning uh, that then um, that we uh, you know go through life uh, discovering um, that that relates to the environment that is changed by the environment, but there's some coreness uh, to us that is trying to discover itself in the world. And so that's one theory. But the myth theory is a, another metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a metaphor that's ubiquitous. It's not in one culture. It's in many cultures. It's, uh, it's been throughout history. And uh, you know, when Jung talks about the collective unconscious, that's, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about all this rich, history and um and uh literature and art and all of that that's been produced from from the beginning of mankind is available to us in the collective unconscious and it's simply a matter of being able to engage with it and it's hard to do in a in a in a time you know talking about the spirit of the time the spirit of the time has many obstacles to being able to do that Right, because we're we're all headed somewhere. We all think we're headed somewhere, and we got to be on a path, and we got you know time constraints, and we uh, and that gets in the way of engaging with this material. Oh, I think that's a very interesting point. I was interviewing a kind of a guru in the tech space the other day, and she said, you know, everyone's supposed to be in such a big hurry, and life is never you know it's full throttle every day and i have never wasted more time in my life mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. excellent yeah, right? yeah. yeah like yeah. oh god i'm on youtube and it's you know i've been here for an hour and a half what's going mm. on you know yeah. yeah yeah so um i want to take a minute to have dan i want you to just explain if you can who uh Winborn is yeah for our audience yeah mark Winborn was invited and he's been uh uh to our our institute a couple of times he uh comes from memphis uh the memphis institute he's a a well-known world-renowned Jungian analyst it's he's uh, quite popular right now um because he has he's bringing in some uh theories regarding interpretation into Jungian analysis and the Jungian analysis world that's been very uh, helpful. It's a new dimension. He's very well read, very, uh, very clinically sound uh, in his work. And um, 
So he came to our analyst training program weekend and um, and has been uh, and was very embodied. So the whole weekend we were talking about metaphor uh, and he was using that to, to describe how we work uh, analytically. So he's somebody that, uh, you know, the JPP program too, we're bringing in new analysts uh, this, this year. Uh, we have uh, Mark um, Sabin is is going to be uh, coming in from the UK uh, tele, tele, um, through telecommunication to our JPP people, but that's bringing in a well-known Jungian analyst from from uh, from the outside uh, to help uh, to help us understand uh, Jungian theory and to provide a greater dimension to that. So. Um, yeah, so I'm fresh off of a Mark Winborn experience, and he's written several books. Uh, his last name is W I N B O R N. I you know encourage people to to look him up. He's been very helpful. Andrea, I know you wanted to jump in on this idea. Yeah, I mean, I think, <clears throat> I mean, I agree with what Dan said. I think that these are metaphors. There are other metaphors that describe it. I think the acorn theory and the hero's journey that these aren't, you know, they're also, they're not mutually exclusive, right? So, um, and I mean, I'm thinking too about, you know, as I think about individuation and something that I touched on kind of was starting to stir and um, pre-pandemic, but then of course the great interrupter of all things, right? Um, and so the thought kind of went away, but wondering about what this individuation process or what the um, the hero's journey would look like, you know, it, from a feminine, a, a standpoint of the feminine or feminine individuation journey. And would that maybe be different, um, you know, um, where the hero just yeah, I think it is. child cries from the surface, <laughs> and then you're, okay, we'll come back up and then we go down again, right? So it's a different sort of process, but but I was thinking about it too, in terms of the relational aspect, right? And this is something I, I come back to and I come back to during the interview is that um, with where would Frodo be without Samwise, mm. right? his journey, right? That we are relational as we go through this individual process. Mm. And it's maybe not as individual as we think. Right. These things are necessary. Samwise is necessary for this journey, which we talk about, right? I think um, it's mm -hmm. talked about when people talk about the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. um, but that it's not a side character that's with us, but someone that is really truly a main part of our story. Mm -hmm. Just as with if, if uh, someone who happens to be a mother is going through that cycle, the mm -hmm. child crying, right, from above ground to grab your attention is part of the journey. Mm -hmm. So where I think about the acorn and the acorn that goes in the ground, the soil or the rain that comes from above, right? Or the tree that might shade that spot. So it, it, the ground doesn't get too hot. I don't know much about kind of how the optimal conditions, right? For acorn um, to develop into a tree, but they exist because there's mm -hmm. this connection of this process within, within the whole already. So right. The acorn contains the whole, but it is also part of the bigger. Yes. And you, you know, when you just touched on this idea of seeing it from seeing the hero's journey, for instance, through a, a feminine perspective, I remember 
um, talking on the podcast with Maria Tatar, who wrote the book, uh, The Heroine with a Thousand and One Faces. And her conclusion is she looked across the heroines in mythology. They didn't have what you would call a hero's call. They had an epiphany. Mm. An epiphany is fundamentally numinous. Mm. And so I want to talk a little bit about the numinous quality when, whether it's a calling or whether it's an epiphany, something happens that tells you you're about to go into this journey of transformation. Can we talk about that for a little bit and maybe give us some personal examples of what an epiphany feels like as it relates to this business of individuation? Yeah, I, I would go back to my image. Um, I'm going to clarify a little bit. <clears throat> to me, epiphany is when I discovered um, the meaning or the, or the meaning of the image was made um, discoverable to me. That was an epiphany. Um, I broke down in tears when I realized um, that meaning um, because uh, because the because holding that image for all that time um was like giving birth right it was like holding something that had to be um, had to be completed or finished or 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 brought to consciousness and and that happened and it happened without any of my um it it, it happened because of my pursuit but it happened of its own accord in its own time um and so the numinosity uh, that you're you're describing for me is the energy that image held for so long. The mm-hmm. energy, the de- the desire to know it, the desire to uh, the the disruption in my life, the the um, uh, the the calling of it, the the uh, the just the way it it captivated me uh, until its meaning was revealed. That to me, that, that's the distinction. The epiphany came later. Yeah. The luminosity was in the, the the image itself. Yes, I, that makes abundant sense to me, and it calls me back to a, you know, the writer David Foster Wallace. You know, he said, uh, "Life will have its way with you," mm-hmm. and I think the same that yeah. you could substitute individual individuation will have its way with you. Yeah. One way or another. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yeah. so, Andrea, I'm curious to hear from you about this idea of numinosity, that there is there is all, uh, a palpable spiritual energy that enters in to let you know the point of embarkation. Yeah. Is that a fair, first of all, is that a fair way for me to describe numinosity when it comes to individuation? Am I making sense? You are making sense. And and I wonder, thinking about what Dan said and kind of thinking about my experience as well, if people experience, well, obviously, right? People experience things in different ways, but how they might experience the numinous in, in relation to an epiphany, right? If they do come at the same time, or if maybe the numinous guides us to an epiphany. Right. It sounds like Dan and I don't want to overtake your image. 
or oh, go ahead. Go it ahead. sounds like the image was numinous. Yes. But it led you to this epiphany, if I'm understanding. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's that's true. That sometimes it comes before to lead us somewhere, or maybe it comes after to kind of highlight, right, the epiphany that we've had and the meaning it carries. Because mm-hmm. um, I was trying to think, I'm like, gosh, if I experienced that kind of at the same time, and I probably have, uh, <laughs> but they're not coming to mind at the moment. Um, but things that are coming to mind that, you know, um, you know, the epiphany of, oh, I'm going to become a psychologist, <laughs> the foolishness in that, but it has led to a very spiritual process for me and sacred work. And so there's something numerous in the work and it comes and goes, right? Ebbs and flows. Um, but there's something very, I didn't know the, the, the spiritual nature of that in the moment. I didn't really have a sense of it at all. I just knew this was something that was just like, oh, well, this is what I'm doing. Um, and that felt like an epiphany in terms of like, well, oh, here's the course of my life. Mm. So I go along with that. Um, and it has led to, I think, more, um, more numinous moments within, within the field, within what I've chosen to do of saying like, ah, this this spiritual feeling that I get in studying or approaching research sometimes that moves through. I didn't have that at the beginning, but I think it enforces that epiphany, I guess you could say. Um, Mm. But I think something that does kind of come through are these moments. I especially think in research or my mind is sort of geared towards, you might notice, thoughts and ideas and metaphors and imagery. Um, But I actually had an epiphany when you sent out this topic, not quite right away, but I'm sitting with the idea of individuation. And, and as I've mentioned, kind of having had this sort of questioning prior in terms of what is, what is the, the feminine hero's journey look like? Like what is the metaphor um, or metaphors, obviously um, for, for women going through this journey, right? What does this look like? How does this look? Um, But I was just thinking about it and this felt like um, something that has a lot of energy and also gives me a lot of solace and that it's like this, this realization of, oh, you know, this is within context for me as a woman, this individuation process of the, you know, I go down and I descend and I'm going on this, this arc of the journey, the descent, and then this creature from above <laughs> cries out for me, and I go back up, and I attend to what that is, and I come back down, and for a long time, I think, I thought it had to be the other way, where I go into the descent, and if I don't continue that arc, that bottom arc of the process in a sort of quasi-linear way, I'm not really doing the process justice. But for me and my individuation process, it has to be disrupted. That Mm. is the arc of my life. Mm. And so I do climb back up and I attend to what's going on. And I come back down and it's fits and starts. And and this realization or this epiphany, I can feel it in my body. And for me, that's one way I can understand when something, you know, is is carrying quite a load. It might be numinous, might be spiritual. and I need to take a good look at it and pay attention. Um, but I think that that's another moment I had an epiphany. It makes me think of this and, and within this context of individuation. So, right. Yeah. And I, and I think 
for many people who come to the Carl Jung Institute, who find it, they, part of what draws them, I think, and, and drew me was I, I had, uh, I, sh- I share your, your, as a researcher, I share your issue, Andrea, that, you know, my superior function is intellectual and my inferior function is, is emotional. And it's, it's not the, you know, it's not really what, how it's typified for a woman, but there I am, you know, and I, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way, but I was, there was something in my soul that was stirring. However conscious or unconscious I was, and I had read plenty of, of Sigmund Freud's work, but what really inspired me about Carl Jung is that even though he was a rigorous, rigorously trained medical doctor, and he was pioneering this entire discipline of psychology, that he made room for the soul in his work. He made room for the soul in his practice, in his theories, in in his research. And I just, you know, I'm I I just want to be very open-ended right now and and ask you how this soul's journey plays out in your work as faculty at Mm -hmm. the institute. I think that's that's a very meaningful question. And even just sitting with it, I can feel that working through my body, right? Mm-hmm. How does soul, soul's journey come into this? Right. Like, for instance, do you find that that's somewhat of a common denominator among the people who enroll in the program? Yes. Are they at one level or another, they're, they're moving down that path? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, you know, there is, um, it is soul's work, right? And I think one thing I, I, I love about, you know, the JPP, JSP, and I feel so, I can feel, right, the gladness or sort of that quickening of my soul when I think about that work is that um, it is about moving into that space, right, where the soul can emerge, where individuation or the transformation process is um, held in a sacred way. I think Mm -hmm. that that's part of the job, right, of being co-directors is attending to that sort of um, sacred container that allows the soul's depths to be felt, to be Mm -hmm. present. Um, and everyone has their own relationship with those depths, with the soul and with their journey, but that we're creating a space um, that's, I guess you could say, um, welcoming, right, mm. for that process. Mm. Um, and, and in a way, by creating that space for others to have that experience, it deepens my own soul's work and my own soul's journey. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not so separate, right? I guess we come back to that relatedness again, right? That mm-hmm. that the fact that I am in a position, you know, as co-director does not mean that I am also not on that soul's journey. It's not mm-hmm. not up here, right? You can't individuate on a mountaintop. I'm not sitting on my mountaintop saying, here are the things for your soul's journey. It's part of mine as well. Mm-hmm. 
So it's, it's deeply meaningful. Um, I think to the participants um, and how they feel that and experience that. And I think that's that openness to the soul's journey is part of the common denominator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe a longing even. Mm-hmm. Dan, what are your thoughts on this? Jump in. Um, I was thinking the image of uh, initiation came to me that um, there, there are two components to initiation. It's the initiant that is seeking initiation and the initiator or the elder that is willing to initiate or participate in that process and requires both. And it requires both to be ready, to have the readiness for that. Uh, So part of, part of my journey from JPP through becoming a nurse practitioner through analytic training uh, was this long process of initiation after which it was very important for me to become the initiator, to complete the process, to to be the one uh, that is willing to facilitate uh, that that process, and that the uh, the applicants that come into the program come into it with their own uh, numinous experiences, their own connection to something Jungian that uh, grab their attention, just as that image I talked about grabbed my attention. And so when I went into, in fact, interestingly, I'll, I'll remark that all three of us have been through the program. In fact, Andrew mm-hmm. has been through it twice. Right? I was in it back in the early two, 2000s, but um, it was because uh, something grabbed me and I needed a, a deeper dive into it. And then that began that whole journey. Well, the, the people in the in uh, the training program are, you know, coming with it with that same type of experience. And they're looking for this facilitated, competent, uh, uh, um, experienced, you know, uh, containment uh, holding environment for an experience that is very personal, requires uh, vulnerability and openness, and uh, for the tr- for that transformation to take place, and to be able to facilitate that, uh, as Andrew was saying, is meaningful to my development, to continue my development, to be able to contribute to creating that environment. Yeah, and that's perfect. Well- Thank you. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah. Yeah. Because all, all transformations have an initiation moment, right? Mm-hmm. And um those can spark a lot of things. But mm-hmm. I I I also want to kind of put on the wide angle lens here for a mm-hmm. second and, and really just look at the culture. Mm-hmm. And think, you know, when I think to myself, gosh, it's been 60 plus years since Jung's leaving the planet and what has changed in the culture? What has changed for the collective in terms of how we individuate? What are the influences that are different? Or is this just a classic archetypal process? And cultural inputs don't matter so much. What are your thoughts? Has individuation, the the context for individuation changed in people's lives? I think the context has, right? I don't, I think the process is archetypal, right? 
uh, like we can we can talk about initiation, right? Being an archetypal process, the contexts change, mm-hmm. um, but the actual process and and how that moves um, or its goal or um, kind of the qualities that make up that, I don't know if they change. I mean, maybe little specific things, but um, but I think that has more to do with the context. So. I do think the context change and I think it has an impact, right? Mm. But the process is still archetypal. Mm -hmm. So Mm. perhaps how it's activated or how that activation is received varies Mm. very much um, depending on sort of the context in which you find it, right? Like anything archetypal, there are certain things that will constellate an archetype in a certain cultural context or time that maybe won't con- constellate it or cause it to arise in another time. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. that the archetype disappears, right? Mm-hmm. But it depends on how it shows up. Mm-hmm. And I think individuation being an archetypal process, it's the same way. Mm-hmm. How we see it, how it emerges, you know, what brings it about probably is culturally um, specific in some ways. Mm-hmm. Dan, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I was thinking, uh, you know, Jung's Red Book and his, um, his uh, narrative around the the struggle between the the spirit of the times and the spirit of the depths, and how he was um, he was aware that he needed to um, he needed to move move from move from this dominance of the spirit of the times, which is always changes, right? Um, but uh, the spirit of the depths is uh you know the the collective unconscious that he eventually would would name and talk about and i think that's you know what what andrew is talking about the archetypal uh dimension is something that we have to learn a relationship to and if we don't i think there's a great deal of suffering that goes on um and i think there's something in the psyche that is trying to get at uh the spirit of the depths uh, so that we can experience life more fully, and um, and so in one sense it's the same struggle as it was a hundred years ago. In another sense, um, it, it just has different clothes on. There's different, you know, the times are different. There's more technology. There's more. There's more uh, of stuff. And is that is that hurt or is that make it more difficult? I I can't speak to. Um, um, but I do know that, you know, that my experience of working with patients, um, has been, if I were to characterize the struggle, it's moving out of a compulsive existence into a liberated, free, and, and, uh, more embodied existence. Um, and I think that's the struggle. And, and until that can happen, there's a great deal of suffering that, that goes on. That's an amazing carrot at the end of the stick of a process mm. of transformation, isn't it? Mm. That, yeah. that you know, it's a journey. It, it can be a difficult journey. But at the end of the journey, you are freer. You are more embodied. Mm. You are more whole. And you're more alive in the world. What mm. isn't really that? the meaning of life 
Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful image. Yes. And, and I think we'll end right there. Mm. So I want to thank you both for joining us for Jung in the World today. You, you were just a thrill to talk to and listen to. And um, um, thanks, Daniel Ross and Andrea Gaspar-Gonzalez for a wonderful conversation on individuation. And we wish you well. Thank you, Patricia. This has been wonderful. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you, Dan. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about training programs, archives, this podcast, or to find a union analyst in review, visit our website, youngchicago.org. Thank you to our 2021 donors who gave at the contributing member level or above. The Arlene M. Feiner Trust, Barbara Anon, Arlo and Rena Kampan, Judith Cooper, Kevin Davis, George J. Didier, Mary Doherty, Carl and Patricia Greer, Ryan Mayer, Patricia Martin, Boris Matthews, Sue Rosenthal, Diane Sherwood, Debbie Stutzman, Lawrence Chad Tingley, Alexander Wayne and Lynn Kopp, Gerald Weiner, and Ellen Young. You can also become a supporter of this podcast by visiting our website, youngchicago.org. Thanks.